0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: The Rabbi was known for being very brief. Everything he said was very brevity, short, sweet, to the point. And yet, you see the whole entire Tanya, 53 chapters, plus the introduction is based on one verse. (laughs) He takes this one verse in the Taira, and he stretches it out and expands it to 53 chapters. And the last few chapters we were reading, the emphasis was on the last word of this verse. Moses tells the Jewish people at the end of his life that to be Jewish, to think like a Jew, to speak like a Jew, to act like a Jew is something that's very near and dear to you. But the emphasis is, to do, to act, because the action is the most is primary, is the most important part. That's what we were learning in chap- from chapter 35 through chapter 37. Now we're up to chapter 38. So in summation of this point to highlight and to emphasize this point, that in Judaism it's the action that matters most. And he described that the whole purpose why God created the world and the whole reason why the soul descended into the body was in order to bring godliness, to grow down godliness into the material, into the physical world, to take the lowest and to, re- to elevate it to the highest. Take the lowest of the low and to elevate it to the highest of the high. To make it, turn it, transform it, change it into a place where God says I feel at home. And even those mitzvot, like the mitzvah studying Torah, the mitzvah studying Torah, it's not enough to study Torah intellectually. But you have to; it has to engage the physical. You have to physically move your lips and say the words of Torah. Speak the words of Torah. Because again, the whole idea is to bring down God's light, the central light, into the physical. And we just concluded the other week that there is an advantage to the studying of Torah than even to doing the mitzvah. Because when you study Torah and you speak the words of Torah and you engage your animal soul, your ego soul, your ego mind, the studying of Torah, you're drawing down God's very essence. When you do a mitzvah, You become like a chariot to God, a vehicle to God, a vessel to God, an organ to God. But the organ and the soul are are still separate. Yes, they become inseparable, but still it's bringing together of two separate, the body and the soul, who become one and inseparable. But when the Jew studies Torah, you become absolutely one with God. So you're drawing down God's essence, you're calling out to God. That's why it's called Kriyat Torah, to call the Torah. Just like when you call someone, you call them by their name. The name is very personal, the person turns, his whole essence turns to you and responds. So when a Jew studies Torah, you're calling God, you're calling His essence, you're drawing down His essence, and you're drawing it down to your animal soul, to your ego soul, to your ego mind, your rational mind, and, and to your lips. So the unity, the, the level of the dwelling place, so God's essence that you achieve through studying of Torah is much deeper, much more profound than the level of Godliness that you draw down through doing a mitzvah. That's why although the emphasis is on action, on deed, and the deed is primary, but nevertheless, the Torah says that the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all the other mitzvot combined. Because that's the same theme of all the mitzvot. This is The whole theme of the mitzvah is to connect and to unite and to draw down God's essence into this physical world. But the unity that you achieve through studying Torah is much deeper and much more profound. You draw down, so to speak, God's very essence, God himself. It's only through the studying of Torah like, like uh, no other mitzvah could accomplish. So it's not only not a contradiction to the other statement in the Torah that the, that the action is primary on the contrary. They both come from the same reason. Why is action primary? Because the whole purpose is to draw down God's essence into this material, into this physical world, to change the material into the spiritual. Well, the ultimate change and the ultimate transformation and the ultimate drawing down of God's essence is through Torah. You can accomplish it and achieve it through Torah a lot more than you can accomplish it through the mitzvah. But yet, since the whole purpose, the ultimate purpose is to draw down God's essence into the lowest of the low, therefore, if you have a conflict, if you have a choice to make, either you're going to study Torah, but if you're going to study Torah, you're going to lose the opportunity to do the mitzvah. Let's say you have an opportunity to rejoice with the bride and groom. The marriage is tonight. If you're going to sit and learn Torah tonight, you're going to lose the opportunity to do that mitzvah. So if it's a mitzvah, you're going to lose the opportunity, then you have to close the book, close the Torah with all the great qualities of studying Torah. You have to close the book and go ahead and do the mitzvah. Because Getting the mitzvah done is primary doing the deed, doing the action, bringing God down into the lowest of the low, into the physical, into the material, and transforming it and elevating it to the highest of the high. That's really the whole thrust, the whole essence of Torah, mitzvah, the whole essence of what a Jew is doing in this world, and the whole essence of creation, why God created the world. But If someone else can do the mitzvah for you, the mitzvah will be done, then don't do the mitzvah, instead continue to pursue the the study of Torah, continue to study Torah, because the unity that you achieve through the studying of Torah is much deeper, much superior, much more profound than through any mitzvah. So to highlight the idea that the mitzvot are primary, the physical, the material, the deed is primary, he's going to highlight it with a law, a Jewish law. Page 513, um, The third paragraph, in light of all that has been said above.
2: In light of all that has been said above, concerning the particular virtue of Mitzvah performed in action and speech, in their elevation of the vital soul to holiness, one will clearly understand the halakhic decision, expressly stated in the Talmud and the codes, that meditation is not valid in lieu of verbal articulation. Thus, if one recited the Shema in his thought and heart alone, even if he did so with the full power of his concentration, he has not fulfilled his the Shema by merely meditating on the words that comprise it. He must repeat it verbally. The same is true of the grace after meals, ordained by the Torah. Although the Torah does not state with regard to grace as it does of Shema, and you shall speak these words, yet one cannot fulfill this duty by mere thoughts. And similarly with other blessings, although they are merely rabbinic in origin, and so too is prayer, although prayer is a service of the heart. It cannot be confined to the heart, but must be articulated orally.
1: He says, not only reading of the Shema, which is biblically mandated, so if you read the Shema in your mind, you keep your lips closed, and you read the Shema, you think the Shema, and you feel the Shema, and you experience the Shema, but you don't physically say the Shema, not to fulfill your obligation. And the same is true with the biblical obligation to say grace after the meal. Even though it doesn't say there, you must speak it. Nevertheless... The law states that just thinking the grace after the meal, you have not fulfilled the obligation. You must physically say the words of the grace after the meal. And that's also true with blessings which are only rabbinic. So you would think, as long as you think it, why is it so important to speak? No, the rabbis say that you have not fulfilled the obligation unless you physically speak. And even prayer, even though some people say prayer is biblically, biblically mandated, But the whole essence of prayer is to serve God with your heart. That's the whole idea of prayer. The whole idea of prayer is to feel, to love. That's what prayer is. It's the service of the heart. Even those that hold that it's biblically mandated to pray every day, how do you learn it out from? Because it says you should serve God with all your heart. And the rabbis say, how do you serve God with your heart? What do you mean you serve God with your heart? By praying. That's referring to prayer, because prayer, the idea of prayer is to feel, to love God, to develop and to experience a love for Hashem, a feeling, an attraction, to experience Godliness. So the whole highlight and emphasis should be on the inner, on the feeling, on the emotion, on the thought. And yet, halacha states that if you pray you, with your eyes closed and you meditate and your, your soul is in ecstasy and you're soaring and you're achieving higher levels of consciousness but you don't physically move your lips to pray you have not fulfilled your obligation the question is why?
2: no action
1: there's no action and then he's going to say you look at the reverse the reverse is the exact opposite what if a person says mm. the Shema? says the grace after the meal, says the blessing, says the prayer, but He has no intent. You don't feel anything, you don't feel, sense anything, you don't think anything. Just, there's no, nothing internal, nothing spiritual. It's a purely physical act, mouthing the prayers, going through the motions, not even thinking a moment about what you're praying, what you're saying, let alone to feel what you're saying let alone to experience what you're saying, we just go through the motions. We say the blessing, we say the prayer, we say the shema. We don't put in too much energy into it. We don't put in too much thought into it. We don't think about it too deeply. We don't feel. And yet, has that person fulfilled his obligation? The answer is yes. So you take these two extremes. Ideally, of course, a person should say the prayer, say the Shema, say the blessing, say the grace after the meal, but say it with feeling, heartfelt. When you say, Thank you, God, mean it. Feel it. Feel the gratitude. Thank you. And feel it. When you say, I love God, you should feel it. You should mean it. That's ideal. You should say it and mean it and feel it and experience. That's ideal. But let's take these two extremes. What if you can say it, but you don't feel it, or you feel it and you don't say it? Wh- what would you think? Which is more valuable? Which is closer to the ideal? Feeling it—that's Feeling it. what, you, that's what you, we would think, right? That—that's—but counterintuitively, the Torah says the exact opposite. Logically, it would make sense. What's religion? Oh, well, religion is about sensitivity. Developing a sensitivity, developing a sense of spirituality, this developing a deeper sense of life, this developing a meaning, a meaning in life, finding the meaning in life, the purpose. So it would make sense that the person who's closing his eyes, who's in ecstasy, his heart is on fire, that uh, feels a fiery love, a passionate love to God, is closer to the ideal, then the person who's just going through the motions, mouthing the words, doesn't mean a word that he says, doesn't has no clue what he's saying, doesn't even know the meaning of what he's saying. He says, thank you, God, and doesn't even feel thank you, doesn't even feel gratitude. He's not even thinking about feeling the word thank you. He's just saying the words by rote. Like, unfortunately, most people do, and they just come to shul, they just mouth the prayers, looking at the clock. They, they finish, some synagogues finish before they start. And... Um, so, who is closer to the ideal? Right? You would think that's the prayer that's heartfelt, even though you don't move your lips. You can have tears streaming down your eyes. Genuinely heartfelt. But you haven't moved your lips. So, you have no mitzvah. You haven't read the Shema. You haven't said grace after the meal. You haven't said a blessing. You've done nothing. Nothing. Zero. You missed the train, you missed the boat. You're not even on the train. Versus the Jew who's mouthing the prayer cold-bloodedly, doesn't even hear what he's saying, doesn't mean a word that he says, doesn't even understand what he's saying, doesn't even give it a, a thought, a second's thought, what he's about to say, what he's saying. And yet he has has the mitzvah. He said the grace after the meal. He prayed. He said the shema and he made the blood. That's, that's very that's counterintuitive. But this is very revolutionary. And the only way to explain this seeming anomaly or the seeming halacha is because in Judaism, this only highlights and emphasizes that in Judaism it's the deed that matters most. It's the action that matters most. That's the primary goal, is action. The whole reason why God created this world is because God wanted us to engage the physical, to transform the physical, the material, to transform the physical, the ordinary, the day-to-day, the secular, into something godly, into something holy. And by elevating the physical and material and transforming it into something holy, that's how eventually we elevate the whole entire world and that leads us to the messianic era. The whole entire world will become godly, and become completely transformed and divine and holy. And that's the same reason why the soul descended into this world. Why did the soul descend into this world? It's such a traumatic experience for the soul. Any anguish, any pain that we feel is really the existential angst that the neshama, the soul feels, leaving its heavenly perch and coming into this dark, selfish, self-centered, egotistical, lonely world. Why did the soul make this plunge? Again, the only reason is, the only justification, the only reason is, in order that we should it should engage the ego soul, the natural soul, the animal soul, and by engaging and doing the mitzvah, by physically moving the lips, taking that energy that you acquire through food, and through eating, and through surviving naturally, and taking all that energy... And using it to move your lips and to say holy words and to say the words of the Shema and to say the words of the grace after the meal and to say the blessing and to say the words of prayer. That is the ultimate purpose. So the bottom line is that the Jew who one extreme does the mitzvah without any intent. He has the mitzvah. He's on board. He's on the train. While the Jew is sitting and meditating and is soaring in heaven in ecstasy and has reached lofty levels and the highest levels of consciousness, that Jew missed the train altogether. It's like the extreme exa- analogy. You have one Jew who on the Pesach Seder is so gripped with ecstasy, the meaning of Pesach, and he prepared for weeks studying the Kabbalistic meaning of and the symbols, of all the symbols of the Seder. And he sits all night at the Seder meditating on matzah and the meaning of matzah, meditating on the meaning of murder, meditating on every symbol of the Seder. Just one problem, he forgot to eat the matzah. Or you have a Jew who knew it was Pesach, couldn't kill less with Pesach. A non-Jew comes, beats him over the head and says, if you don't eat that matzah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. So begrudgingly, he has no interest, but he's forced. He's under coercion. He goes ahead and eats that matz. <laughs> who has celebrated Pesach and who has who has violated Pesach? That Jew has done the mitzvah, <coughs> has done that divine deed, has eaten the matz, while the Jew who's in ecstasy and his soul is melting, his heart is melting, and his soul is about to expire, and his mind is on fire, and did nothing, violated the whole holiday, did not eat the matz. So again, Jewish law points very clearly to the fact that it's the deed that matters most. It's the action that matters most. It's not the meditation. It's not the intention. It's not the thought. That's, that's secondary. That's not primary. The ultimate purpose, what drives creation, what drives the soul into this world, the novelty, the whole point of creation, the reason why God desired to create this world and all the upper realms, the higher levels of consciousness, the whole purpose of creation was that the novelty that we can take our physical lips and by using the lips and moving the lips and saying holy words, formulating holy words with our physical lips, we transform the physical lips and the physical energy that goes into the lips, the energy, the soul energy, the animal naturalist, natural soul energy that gives us the energy the ability to move our lips, to transform that and to elevate and to connect it to godliness. That's the whole purpose. And the only way you achieve that is by physically doing the mitzvah. That's primary. That's number one. The, the, the spirituality, the intent, the emotion, the sensitivity, the depth, the color. That's that's secondary. It's very nice. It's very beautiful. But that's not where it's at. That's icing on the cake. If on the other hand, if the,
0: on the other hand one spoke the words of Shema prayer, etc. But did not concentrate his thought. He has post facto fulfilled his obligation. Although he was initially required to concentrate, and need not repeat them with concentration, except for the first verse of Shema and the first blessing in Shemona Esrei. Yeah, ha-
1: halachically we don't even we don't even go back to the first verse of Shemona Esrei because we assume that most people today have no intent. <laughs> so it's just a waste of time to go back. But Shema, you have to have intent. If you read the Shema and you don't even know what you're reading, you don't even a minimal intent that you're accepting upon yourself, you're saying that God is one and you're accepting upon yourself uh, the yoke of heaven, then, then it's a meaningless. Then you do have to repeat just the first word of Shema, nothing else.
0: Where the law requires one to repeat them, if he did not concentrate on their meaning while reciting them. It is thus written, tractate Barofa, beginning of chapter 2, until here i.e. until the end of the first verse of Shema, the mitzvah is one of concentration. From here on, the mitzvah consists of recitation, and one has fulfilled his obligation even if he did not concentrate. How then are we to reconcile both halakha Why is thought without speech not as acceptable as speech without thought?
1: Ideally, you need both. But if you do one without the other, it's okay. So why is thought action without speech, without thought, okay, while thought without speech is nothing. Why? It makes no sense. On the contrary.
0: The answer lies in the discussion of the unique status of mitzvot performed in action and speech as explained in the previous chapter. This is because the divine soul does not need to perfect itself through mitzvot. Rather, the goal of Mitzvah is to draw down godly light to perfect the vital soul in the body. This is accomplished by means of the letters of speech, which the soul utters by means of the five organs of verbal articulation, and through the mitzvot of action, which the soul performs by means of the body's other organs. The mitzvot involving speech and action, which utilize the power of the vital soul, and the organs of the body serve to elevate them. Since the ultimate goal is the perfection of the vital soul and the body, thought alone being the province of the divine soul, cannot satisfy the demands of the mitzvot of speech. They require verbal articulation. Speech alone, however, without thought, is sufficient, since the vital soul and the body are elevated thereby.
1: Okay, so that's pretty crystal clear. He made the point very, very clear that in Judaism it's the deed that matters most, it's the action that matters most, and that's primary. If you do the action, you're on board. You don't do the action, you miss the boat. All the meditation in the world, and all the love in the world, and all the philosophy in the world, and all the spirituality in the world, means absolutely nothing. It doesn't even get you to first base. While well, if you physically do the mitzvah, then you're on board. This halacha really makes this point very, very clear. Very unambiguous. You can't... There's no... It's very clear. But the question is, what role then does intent the spirituality play? If the action is what matters most, then all that matters is the deed. So what, what's the role of spirituality? Of meditation, of feeling. Of, as we also said, that what is prayer? Prayer is you have to pray with your heart. You have to have the kavana, you have to have the intent. It's not enough just to mouth the words cold-bloodedly by wrote mechanically. You're not a machine. You're a real person. You have to mean it. You have to be sincere. You have to be sensitive. You have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. You have to be deep. You have to be inspired. You have to be spiritual. Clearly, the intent of the mitzvah is that you should do the mitzvah properly and appropriately, which is by physical in combination with the spiritual. The spiritual is no less important than the material. The ideal mitzvah is to do both. If it's the action that matters most, and who cares about the thought? Then all that matters is the action. It's not true. The Torah says that initially, this was just a very sh- stark example. After the fact, after it's already done, If you just mouth the words and you have no intent, you don't have to daven over again. You don't have to read the Shema over again. If you just had the thought in the meditation where you didn't physically move your lips, you have to say the Shema over again. You have to say it. Because thinking alone meant nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But if after the fact that you already said the words of prayer, and you said the grace after the meal, and you said the the Shema, and you said the, the blessing, without any intent, we don't make you say it over again. You already fulfilled the mitzvah. It's definitely not ideal. Ideally, you should say the Shema, that you have to be heartfelt, with intent, with focus, with concentration. So it's not enough just to do objectively, to get the act done. The subjective is very important. You have to be engaged. You have to be fully involved. Your mind, your heart, your soul. You have to be on fire. You have to be inspired. Moved, touched. Changed. Affected. That's part of, part of the mitzvah. So the question is why? Why is that important? Who cares? Since spirituality and meditation and the personal subjective seems to be completely secondary. As we see clearly from this law that we just learned. So why is it important at all? What role does it play? If the whole purpose why the soul descended into this world is in order to elevate the material and the physical. And the whole reason why the soul endured this traumatic experience of, of taking the plunge and coming into this physical world is in order to achieve the physical, the material, to engage in the material, and to elevate and to transform the material. So why, why is the spirituality, why is the intent, why is that important at all? Who okay. Why is it important to be spiritual? Why is it important to be refined? To be inspired? To feel love? To focus, to concentrate? To be sensitive? To feel personally attached and connected? And personally moved and inspired and changed and elevated and transformed? Why? What difference does it Who cares? We just finished saying the soul didn't come into this world to fix itself. The soul is perfect. For the soul, coming into this world, the soul could never, ever achieve the same level of the soul as the soul was before it descended into this world, to the physical form, to the human form. So, why is it so important? Why place so much emphasis and energy on the personal, the subjective, the sensitivity, the spirituality? What? That's the question that he's posing now after we just finished learning chapters 35 and 36 and 37 at great length and very convincingly. And as he just illustrates it so starkly from Jewish law, you can't, there's no two ways about it. It's very clear where Jewish law stands. That it's the action that matters most, it's the deed that matters most. And the thought is completely secondary and, and and it's the deed, it's primary. So why is it important altogether? Why is that an essential part of a Jew's picture? That it's not enough just to do the mitzvah, but the Torah says that a Jew also has to have kavanah. You have to have the proper intent. You have to become be a spiritual person. You have to be a loving person. You have to be a sensitive person. You have to focus. You have to concentrate. You have to be inspired. You have to be uplifted. Why, why is that important? Why is that essential? Why spend so much time and effort on developing yourself spiritually when it seems to be completely secondary? Does anyone have that same question? Or is it troubled by that question? Or it's, uh... You know what I'm a little confused about? It. Okay. What doing, like...
0: what? Why? Why? Okay. Okay. We're talking about... We're talking about thought, but we're also talking about emotion which is which is bodily. Isn't
1: it? Is, again, no, but, no, but we're saying if you say the Shema you don't say the Shema, you just think the Shema. And you feel the Shema. And you feel the <laughs> love. And you feel the emotion. And your heart is on fire. And you're overwhelmed with love. And you feel the emotion. And you feel the attraction. And your soul is expiring in ecstasy. And you feel it in your heart. It's not enough. You have to physically move your body. You have to physically move your lips. So emotion alone it's much more physical than intellect. Intellect is much more abstract. Emotion is, is, you feel the blood, you feel it, it's much more. But nevertheless, it's not the same as physical.
0: No, no, what I'm, what I'm confusing, or what I'm not understanding, is, is you're describing the emotional connection with the action as, as part of the spiritual component right. of, 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 right. hum- of a human. right. So, but, but isn't that really part of the animal? Isn't that the higher level of the animal soul?
1: The emotion. Yeah, yeah. but the question is, why is that? Why is that? Why is that important? If the well, main this, thing. If the main thing is the action. The main thing is the action, and especially we already learned in relation to the animal soul, the difference between studying of Torah and prayer. When you study Torah, you're engaging your mind, your mind, you could change your mind. You could change your animal way of thinking into a godly way of thinking in Torah. But with your um, animal emotions or your natural instincts and emotions, you cannot truly change your emotion. With all the sensitivity and all the love in your heart that you'll feel in prayer, you'll never truly achieve a core change in your emotions. It's not within our powers, not within our capacity. So you're never really reaching... The, the benedict can never really reach the animal soul and really transform your heart. So if anything, it's more it's, um, it's more the, the, uh, the godly soul. The godly soul really is on fire, is genuinely on fire. Now, you could have some effect on your animal soul. You can educate your animal soul. You can try, try to harness it, turn it around. But you'll always be a B student or a C student. You're never really going to really achieve a core transformation. Um, And as long as you do the deed, as long as you do the deed, why is that important? Why is that so important? That alone is the question. Why is that so important to affect your animal soul? If you're excited enough that you're going to do the action, as long as you did the action, what do you care? You did the action. You moved your lips. You moved your legs. You moved your arms. You did the mitzvah. You engaged your body. It's physical, it's material, what more do you need? You don't get more, more material and more physical than that. It's the deed, it's the action, it's the end, it's the bottom, it's the lowest of the low. You've done a mitzvah, you've transformed, you've elevated to the highest of the high. Why is it so important to place such an emphasis on trying to elevate and transform your, your, your emotions, your animal emotions, your ego emotions? Why, why, why is that so important? Who cares? It's not relevant. That doesn't matter as long as you get the deed done, whatever it takes to get the deed done. It's not only you can argue, you can say that we learned in chapter 4 that a person, if you don't love what you're doing, you'll stop doing it. Very simple. A person can't, you're not a robot. You can't be a mechanical robot. You can force yourself to do something. But if you force yourself and force yourself and force yourself, you're going to rebel. You're going to rebel. You're going to have, you know, I'm not interested enough. I'm not a machine. Ultimately, you do what you want to do. So it's important to love. You have to love if you feel a love to the Divine, to Hashem, and you want to connect. And the only way to connect is by doing a mitzvah. That gives you the motivation to want to do the mitzvah. Otherwise, it's going to dry up. Otherwise, if you just do it with a sense of duty and a sense of obligation, it will quickly dry up. It's like paying income taxes. You'll do the beer minimum. You'll, you'll, you'll cut every loophole, every corner that you can. And, and it just shrinks. It just shrivels. It gets smaller and weaker and Yet, in order for it to be robust, for your mitzvah to be robust and alive and growing, you need that love, you need that spirituality. But then, yes, so that's like a means to an end. The spirituality is a means, a support to support the end. In order to get you to do the mitzvah, your heart has to be into it, you have to understand what you're doing, you have to appreciate what you're doing, you have to have a feeling for what you're doing, you have to have a taste, develop a taste for what you're doing. But what we're saying here is, and he's going to quote, the Talmud says that prayer, prayer without intent, is like a body without a soul. It's like a corpse. It's dead. So it's not only that it's a support system. You need a support system. In order to do the mitzvah, you need the support system, so you need that spirituality and that sensitivity and that understanding and comprehension. So you have to develop Yourself spiritually. It's not enough just to physically do the mitzvah. No, but he's saying more so. It's an essential part of the mitzvah. The soul is an essential part of the mitzvah. If you do the mitzvah without the content, it's like a body without a soul. What's a body without a soul? A corpse. It's intact. The body is intact. Right? Right when the person dies, the body is intact, but it's dead. So you're saying that you're missing something essential. Not only that you're missing your support system. Eventually, it's going to dry up. It's not enough to do the mitzvah. You have to have. You have to develop a feeling for it. You have to develop an understanding for the mitzvah. You have not. He's saying more so. The mitzvah itself is lacking. If you do the mitzvah without intent, it's like soulless. It's like a corpse. The, you've done the mitzvah. You have the mitzvah. But you have a corpse in your hand. You have a dead body. There's no soul. There's no life. So what we're saying is that the spirituality, the intent, is an essential part of the mitzvah. It's not only an ideal. The ideal, you should do the mitzvah both. Do the mitzvah and also do it with feeling and heart and soul. Move your lips and also move your heart and move your mind and move your brains and move your whole being should be moved and inspired by the mitzvah. It's not only an ideal state. The Talmud is telling us that without the soul... Without the feeling, without the emotions, and without the, the comprehension and the concentration and the focus and the spirituality and the soulfulness and the joy and the passion and the connection, it's dead. It's a corpse. So, just like a human being in the analogy, a corpse without a soul is dead. It's a
2: when you do a mitzvah, is that your will or, the, or your God and soul's will?
1: When you do a mitzvah, a mitzvah. Is a commandment you're doing what Hashem's will even if it goes against you it's uh, not
2: your will that's forcing you to do the mitzvah
1: no, you want to do what Hashem wants and you're, you're, you are, are obeying what Hashem wants you to do Hashem wants you to do the mitzvah if you were so connected to Hashem you wouldn't need a mitzvah do you have to command do you have to command your arm to move you don't have to tell your arm to move you want to move and it moves automatically your body is inseparable from your soul it's so connected a mitzvah means something outside of you a king has to command his subjects to do something not his own children not himself you don't have to command yourself you command something that's outside of you and you have to command them and they have, and they listen they're a soldier and they listen the subjects obey the king the whole concept of a mitzvah is only because there's a separation because we're not we're egos and we're separate. We feel that we're separate from God. So Hashem has to command us and we have to force ourselves to do it. So the whole concept of a commandment is because we feel separate. If we're so connected to Hashem, there's no need for any commandment. We automatically, we do what Hashem wants us to do. We can't do anything else. We're so in tune with Hashem, we would automatically do exactly what Hashem did, what Hashem wants of us. Just like that's, that's the deeper meaning when it says that the patriarchs and the matriarchs fulfilled the entire Torah before it was given. How could they fulfill the Torah before it was given? Because the patriarchs and the matriarchs were the chariots for God. They were so inseparable from Hashem that they automatically did exactly what Hashem wants them to do. Every organ in their body did exactly what Hashem wanted them to do. It was, it was like natural instinctive. Just like the body does exactly what you want it to do. You don't have to command it. You don't have to lift up your arm. I want to move my hand. Okay, arm. And the arm, the arm is not religious. and doesn't obey. It just automatically. Of course, I have, who am I? I'm nothing else other than the soul. The patriarchs were nothing other than Hashem. So whatever Hashem wanted, automatically they did it 24-7. So they knew instinctively the whole Torah. If we were like the patriarchs, we would know the truth. We would know that tr- in every situation, we know exactly what Hashem wants us to do. But we're not. We're disconnected. We have egos. We feel separate from Hashem. Hashem is the commandus. He's the king. We're a subject. And we go ahead and we, and, we do, and we do the mitzvah. So the rabbis are telling us that the mitzvah, it's not only it's an ideal state, you have to do the mitzvah, the, fiz- do the, mitzvah, the act together with the intent with the spirit but the, the mitzvah, if you do the mitzvah if you only do the act without the intent it's like a body without a soul you're missing something essential you're not missing some spice some extra spice some extra taste ok so the food is not so spicy it's a little bland <laughs> but it gets the deed done you ate the food it nourishes you maybe not it may not be so tasty but the main thing is to eat the food you eat the food. You won't be hungry. You have strength. Whether you put a little salt, you don't put a little salt. You add a little spicy or not. Some people make a little spicy, a little saucier, or some people not. But the deed is done. So that's not what the Talmud says. You're not just missing a little salt, <coughs> a little sauce. It's a body without a soul. It's a corpse. It's dead. Yes, you have the body. Very nice. And after the fact, the body is the primary. The physical, the material but you're missing the soul you're missing something essential so what does that mean here we just finished explaining at great length three chapters 35 and 36 and 37 as he just, as he just uh, made the summation as is expressed clearly in Jewish law that if you have one without the other it's the action it's the deed that matters most that's the whole purpose of creation that's the whole purpose of soul coming into this world to elevate, to transform the material into the spiritual. So it's the deed that matters most. It's the body. And yet, the same Torah says that if you're missing the soul, if you're missing the intent, it's like a body without a soul. It's dead. You're missing your soul. So it's not just secondary. So what is it? Again, on the other hand, if all you have is soul, all you have is intent, you have nothing. You haven't. You missed. You haven't even boarded the train. You missed the boat. You missed the plane. You did nothing. All the meditation in the world means nothing. All the personal, subjective religiosity, intensity, connection means nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's the deed that matters. If you do the deed and you have zero intent, you've done the mitzvah. You're on board. But on the other hand, the Torah says. So what's the role of intent? It's not just secondary. Not just a support, a support system to get us to do the mitzvah. But it's essential to the mitzvah itself. Hashem desired, God wants a Jew to do the mitzvah completely. What's a complete mitzvah? When it's body and soul. Just like what's a complete person? A soul without a body is dead. A body without a soul. <laughs> you have the body, but it's, yeah, it's without the soul. It's also dead. You need the body and the soul together. That's what God wants. A healthy person, a living person, is body and soul. And only then are you truly doing what God wants you to do. So God wants us to do the mitzvah and not just to do the mitzvah. He wants us to feel the mitzvah. He wants us to concentrate on the mitzvah. He wants us to love the mitzvah. He wants us to be moved by the mitzvah, inspired by the mitzvah. But again, mind you, it's not, as he's going to explain, it's not two separate things. That there is doing the mitzvah, doing the commandment, doing the mitzvah. And then there is developing your spiritual life, having a rich inner spiritual life, having a rich, uh, a rich uh, um, philosophical life, a rich meditative life, a rich emotional life. No, the intent that we're talking about here is is feeling and being inspired by the mitzvah, realizing the preciousness of a mitzvah, being sensitive to the power of a mitzvah. What is a mitzvah? A mitzvah is not a ritual. A mitzvah is not a custom. A mitzvah is divine. When you're doing a mitzvah, you're transforming something miraculous. You're transforming the material. You're transforming the very fabric of its being. Somebody taking something material and you're transforming it into a sacred object, into a holy object. Something is changing. Something real is happening when you're doing a mitzvah. So when we say that mm. you should have intent in the mitzvah, we're not just talking about is the world of intent, your personal, subjective, spiritual growth and development and sensitivity and meaning. And then you have your The material, the actions, the deeds. No. It's a body and a soul. The soul has to correspond to the body. The soul animates the body. The soul makes the body come alive. The soul, the kavana, the intent that we're talking about here is a type of intent that makes the action, makes the mitzvah come alive. That I love the mitzvah. I appreciate what's happening when I do the mitzvah. I have a feeling towards the mitzvah. My mind is on fire, my heart is on fire. I appreciate my being, I'm moved, I'm inspired, I'm in touch. I'm touched by what I'm about to do, by doing the mitzvah. By this experience. I'm experiencing the mitzvah. I realize that I'm connecting with the essence of God by doing the mitzvah. So the, the intent is really to be sensitive to what the mitzvah is really all about. To the divine power of a mitzvah, of the physical. <coughs> It's like the beautiful story which you may have heard say great Chasid who spent thirty years of his life fasting, depriving himself of the material world and refining himself, becoming a very spiritually sensitive person, changing his personality, changing his harsh characteristic traits, and really working on himself. You know, to become a mensch takes a lot of work. A lot of work. It's not something you do overnight, one moment. You can pray, study Torah, and yet it doesn't have a great effect on you. People are unchanged, unrefined, the same coarse beings they were before they studied Torah, after they studied Torah, before they mouth the words of prayer, and after they mouth the words of prayer. It doesn't get to them. They don't allow Judaism to really get to them. They don't allow Hashem to really get to you personally, like really change you and really move you and inspire you. That's very difficult. That takes a lot of hard work. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a very serious person. That's really what's supposed to happen in prayer. Prayer is a time when a person is really supposed to be working on himself, working on your personality, taking the raw high that God gave us, that raw material, that raw natural material, which is really just raw and you you can't really use or benefit from it. There's no pleasure in it. And transform it into silky silky, fine, silky leather, something that's useful and beneficial and gives you nachas, to take that rough diamond in the the rough and to polish it, transform it into a sparkling, beautiful diamond that makes your heart sing and warms your heart. That takes tremendous effort. That's what prayer really is. Prayer is a time to really work on yourself, work on your personality, work on your character. And that's a a, a big emphasis in Judaism. You really have to work on yourself. So this chasid, worked on himself for 30 years. He worked on his angers and worked on his jealousies and worked on all his negative attributes and his ego arrogance and his excessive ego traits and harsh ego traits. He really worked very, very hard on himself by depriving himself and overcoming his natural urges and instincts and leading a very disciplined life. He was a very special person. But after 30 years of self-deprivation, he grew very sick. He became very sick. His body couldn't handle it. Not sleeping on a bed and going to sleep late and waking up early and working so hard. It was a tremendous amount of effort. He wore his body down. He was on his deathbed. He was a young person, relatively young person. And he was surrounded by his colleagues, Hasidim. And they were fabrenging. It was a night like tonight. And they were and talking. His mind was lucid till the end. And his body was going. You know, He knew that his hours are, are numbered. And finally he turns to his colleagues he says you know I would give up my 30 years of self deprivation just to live till, the, till dawn so I can put on tefillin once more in my life I would give all of that up just for the opportunity to do one more mitzvah and he passed away before dawn and they buried him and his colleagues said you know Our friend is right. It's true. He's 100% right. One time putting on fillin is worth more and outweighs 30 years of meditation, spiritual sensitivity training, and all of that. But you know what? It took 30 years of self-deprivation to appreciate what a mitzvah is all about. That's the kavana that we're talking about. The intent we're talking about is not it's like, not like two separate worlds that are divorced. There's the mitzvah, but then let me get back to developing myself spiritually and becoming a better person and more sensitive and more loving. And The kavana is the realization of what a mitzvah is. That a mitzvah is not something ritual, a custom... Or just a training exercise, because a person is influenced by your behaviors, you're influenced by your actions. So if, you, if you do a mitzvah, it will influence you. It's a, good, it's a good educational tool that God gave us to educate us, to train us, to make us more aware, to make us more sensitive, help us develop our religious, religiosity, our sensitivity. No, on the contrary, the mitzvah is appreciating the power of, a, of the mitzvah. The spirituality, the kavana, is appreciating the power of the physical, of the material of what we're accomplishing every time we do a mitzvah, the miraculous accomplishment every time we do a mitzvah. We're taking a portion of this world, something physical, the lowest of the low, and we're creating something novel, something revolutionary. We're transforming it into something sacred, into something holy, something divine, the power of a mitzvah, the power of a mitzvah. And the kavana is that your heart should be inspired and moved by what you're about to do, by the mitzvah. So you're totally present when you're doing the mitzvah. You're on fire by the mitzvah. The mitzvah moves you, inspires you, changes you, challenges you, elevates you. And therefore you do the mitzvah passionately, you do the mitzvah joyfully. So it's like a body and a soul. The soul parallels the body, matches the body, makes the body come alive, makes the mitzvah come alive. The purpose of the kavana is to make the mitzvah come alive. And then it's a different mitzvah. You, know, you, can take and you, do, you can do an action, and the action is very cold-blooded. Or you do an action, and you're on fire. It's a different action. It's a different action. Or like you speak. You can have someone speak, and he's asleep, and everyone around him is asleep. There's no fire, there's no passion, there's no soul, there's no... And then, when you speak, something that matters, something you care deeply about, Those words are fiery. Those words are on fire. The words are different. It's different words. It's like the soul makes the body come alive. So when you do the mitzvah with the proper intent, then the mitzvah comes alive. alive. The action is alive. The action is on fire. The words of the shema, the words of the grace after the meal, when you're saying thank you, the words of the prayer, of the blessing that you say before the mitzvah, the words of the prayer our fire, are alive. It's different words. So the rabbis say, if you do a mitzvah without intent, it's like a body without a soul. So the intent is, is also an essential part of the mitzvah. It's not a secondary thing. It's not a, a supporting act to the mitzvah. It's an essential to the mitzvah itself. Otherwise, it's like a body without a soul. And that's what he's going to explain, starting with chapter 38, that, you know, Judaism is very paradoxical. On one hand, it's the action that matters most. On the other hand, action is not enough. God doesn't just want our action. God wants our soul. He wants our mind. He wants our Mm -hmm. heart. He wants our whole being. He wants all of us, 100%. And that's an essential part of the mitzvah, not a secondary thing. It's not a support, supporting actor in the whole drama of a mitzvah. It's an essential part of the whole mitzvah. And that's what he's going to explain now. Why is it essential? How is it essential when we just finish saying that it's the deed? And just we just finish proving that it's the deed that matters most.
3: Yet nevertheless it has been said that prayer or any other blessing said without kavana is like a body without a soul. This comparison of the words of prayer to a body and of Avada to a soul means as follows. Just as all creatures of this world possessing a body and soul, meaning hairfish of it, the ruach of all human flesh, and the neshama of all that has a breath of life in its nostrils among all living creatures, God animates them all and creates them constantly out of nothingness by the light and vitality which he bestows upon them upon both the soul and the body, and in support of his contention that the body too has a godly life force. Aside from the soul, the altar ready adds parenthetically for even the material body and furthermore, even the stones and earth which are absolutely inanimate, lacking even that sign of life, not a plant life, for example growth, even the totally inanimate being as within it, life and God to God, so that it
0: should not revert to
1: and nothingness, as it be, it we will We learn in the second part of the titania that everything is really energy. And Einstein said matter is energy. Everything is nothing other than energy, really. It's vibrating energy. It's constantly transforming itself at this very moment into the table. But the world is really is really filled with sub- subatomic, atomic particles, subatomic particles. It's really, it's it's a world that we can't see, it's extrasensory. But the world is pure energy. And the energy that's constantly in flux, and is dynamic, and is constantly transforming itself into, into the physical. So everything is really alive. The stone is also alive. The stone is energy. Every matter is really energy. It's just energy that's transforming itself into, and therefore it appears to us as, as a stone an unmovable stone but the truth is it's really alive it has a soul otherwise it couldn't exist everything is really moving and vibrating and alive in a certain sense it's that energy that divine energy that's constantly constantly creating we don't sense it the world appears to us to be very solid and very rigid but the truth is at this table everything around us this is 9999 percent empty there's nothing here it's all pure energy that's swirling so quickly, and it, it creates this feeling and sense of solidity and chemicals and, and the physical world as we know it with all its properties and dimensions. But the truth is, it's really all pure energy. Matter is really energy, and the world is vibrant and dynamic. It's constant flux, it's constant changing, and it's flowing from energy and transforming itself into the physical. But we don't sense the world that way. We sense the world as being very rigid, fragmented, tangible, dead, like a stone. It's dead. It doesn't move. It can sit there for thousands of years and doesn't budge. But nothing can be further than the truth. It has a life. It has a soul. It has an energy, a dynamic, vibrant, dynamic energy, but we don't sense it. That's why the world in Hebrew is called olam, comes from the Hebrew word halim. It's a cover-up, it's a concealment. The world is, is lying to us. It's not, the truth is, it's not the way it appears to be. It's the biggest lie, the biggest cover-up. The way the world appears to us is not the truth. It's simply not true. It's not, that's not the, the way reality really happens. That's not what's really going on. Internal, as we speak in this moment, it's the exact opposite of what it appears to us. Not only isn't it true, it's the exact opposite of the way it appears to us. It appears to us to be fragmented, the truth is it's all connected. It appears to us to be rigid, the truth is it's dynamic. It appears to us to be tangible, the truth is it's pure energy. It's vibrating and vibrant and alive, but we don't sense the world that way. The world appears to be cold, harsh, fragmented, materialistic. Um, That's the ultimate cover-up. So the truth is everything in this world has a life force, has a vitality. Otherwise it couldn't exist. And yet, although everything has a life force, but there is a difference between the different forms of life force.
4: The alterator now concludes the sentence in uh, earlier all the creatures of this world are all very small fierce, despite the fact that body and soul are alive and they both contain divine life force. There is nevertheless no comparison or similarity between the quality of the life, life force originating in the body and the life and life force radiating in the in Shama, which is soul of every living thing. It is axiomatic when the physical, it's like comparable to the spiritual. So much so that philosophers agree that the evolution of the material from the spiritual is the most radical form of creation. Exterior. The body being physical is thus comparable to the soul which is spiritual. The difference between them is obviously due the difference between their respective life force relationship. The author will now explain in what they this life force differ. The difference is surely not the one of varying degree of revelation of the body that in the body this life force is in concealment, while the soul it is sent revealed. In this respect, body and soul are alike. The whale of Clefana which is a pure godliness in this physical world, is whole, and the love body and soul. Therefore, just as a body does not attest to the fact that it is the talent of divine creative power, so does the soul of living creatures belie the fact that its life-giving property of godly. Thus the divine love life force is concealed equally in body and soul. The difference between them lies rather in the intensity of godly life force that each contain. In the body of the life force is contracted. So the body <coughs> is a physical being and the soul of the life force freely bestowed and the soul is very for the spiritual life giving
1: okay so what he's saying is since everything is truly alive everything is really has a divine life force so what's the difference between we know that there is a huge difference between the body and the soul you couldn't get a, a larger difference one is material and one is spiritual so what's the difference between the soul which is pure energy versus mm-hmm. energy when it's transformed into a material form the stone Obviously, it's the, it's the largest contrast. We want to contrast one extreme to the other. Pure spirituality is a soul versus the most tangible, which is the stone, the inanimate, the inorganic. Yet, what's the difference between the two? He says, and you can't say the difference is that in one, godliness is more revealed. Because the truth is, when it comes to that, it's all the same. There is no difference between one and the other. In both cases, godliness is completely concealed. Just like when you look at the stone, the stone doesn't point its finger to God, There's a creator. You can go through your whole life looking at a stone and not even thinking once, you know, where did the stone come from? Who created the stone? Where is it coming from? Does it have a source? The stone just sits there. I am. I don't have a source. I don't have a creator. There's no artist. There's no writer or author. I am because I am. That's it. I'm sitting here. I have a right to exist because I exist. I exist because I exist. Period. No rhyme, no reason, no justification. Needed, necessary. The soul is just the same. When you see life, the miracle of life, do you go running to shul when you see the miracle of life? You look at life, the miracle of life, pure energy. There's no explanation for it. All the scientists in the world can create the life of a fly. Life is a miracle, it comes from within. There's no human fingerprints in it. And yet, it'd like completely disconnected. It's like, so what? It's like, we don't even notice, we don't even pay attention. If we were living in a sane, rational world, in a godly world, I have to work. You know, everyone would be rushing after work to the maternity wards, seeing the miracle of life. They would be creating stadiums. The, in, around the maternity wards of New York Cornell, Maimonides, Mount Sinai, you want to see the miracle of life, the miracle of creation. You know that would be if, if we were a truly normal, sane, rational world, a connected world, but we don't connect, we don't make a connection. It's steering us in the face. We see the miracle of life. We see this energy, we see the soul, we see life. It doesn't move us, doesn't touch us, and we make no connection. You look at a tree. There's a pointed finger, a tree. It's God. Look at this miracle. Look at this great artist. Look what God did. God? What, God, what God? All I see is a tree. I see a soul. What do I see? All I see and all I feel is, I see energy. I see life. What do I see? Self-preservation. The desire to preserve itself. Everything in this world, from the amoeba to the soul, everyone is trying to preserve themselves. Ego, I, completely disconnected. No connection to anything divine. So the cover-up is complete. We're all part of this olam, comes from the root word helam. Godliness is hidden, godliness is concealed, we're disconnected, we don't see anything, we don't sense anything, we don't feel anything. There's no difference. However, the difference is, he's going to explain, is the difference of the intensity of the light. Not the concealment. When it comes to concealment, it doesn't matter if it's the highest form of life, which is the soul, which is pure energy, versus the most tangible, the most material, the most, which is the stone. And they both equal in relation to the concealment. There's a complete concealment, the cover-up of godliness. The difference between the two, the level of the intensity and the concentration of God's light, to use a very physical analogy, there's two ways you can block the sun the sun is shining, so you put, a, you put a curtain, a screen over the window, a curtain. And the sun shines through the screen, through the curtain. The light that comes through the curtain, it's not the same light. It's diminished, it's dimmer, because it went through, went through the curtain. Versus, if you take the window and you close the window, and you leave a tiny pinhole, a needle hole, the light can go through. Versus if you leave a whole window open. So if you leave a whole window open, more light can come in. You have a much more intense light. You have more light coming in. But if you close the window and you just leave a pinhole, so just a tiny straw of light can come through. But it's the same light. It's just not as intense. It's just a tiny, tiny drop of the light. But it's the same light. You haven't affected the light. You haven't changed the light you're just reducing the light from its concentration. You're concentrating it, you're reducing it from an intense amount of light, a huge amount of light, to a very tiny, like a little ray of light. But it's the same light as you had in the window. It's just concentrated. That's the idea of the different variations of degree of intensity of the light versus when you cover up the light. When you cover up the light, it's not only, it's a lesser light, You've concentrated it. It, it. It's a different quality light. You've changed the quality of the light. It's not. It's not the same light. The light now has been filtered. You've filtered the light through the curtain. It's, you've changed the quality of the light. It's a different light. So let's say you first put a curtain over the window, so you change the quality of the light. Then that filtered light is further. Reduced, you can have that filtered light, you can, then you can take in that light, you have a huge window that takes in that light, or you can concentrate that light and, and diminish its intensity and reduce it to a little tiny hole, a little ray that will let in a little ray of this filtered light. And so that's the difference. All the light in this world, all, everything that exists comes from Hashem. Everything comes from God. But everything in this world is filtered. It's hidden. It's concealed. It's covered up. It's filtered. You don't see the divine connection. It's like a different light. You don't make a connection. When you go outside, you see the light of the sun. It points to the sun. The light that comes through the filter, I don't see the connection between light and the sun. I see energy. I see life. I don't make any connection to the source, to the sun, to Hashem. I don't see anything divine. I don't feel divine. I don't feel anything godly. People go through their entire life and they don't see anything divine, anything god. But within this filtered life itself, you have a difference of how this light is concentrated, or the intensity of the light. You have a window that lets in a lot of this filtered light, and then you have a little tiny, a little tiny needle hole that only lets in a drop of the light of this filtered light, only a, a little ray. That's the difference between the different categories of life, between the stone and the soul. Even though they're both energy and they both have a life and they both have a soul, but you can't compare the energy in the stone to the energy of the soul. The energy of the soul is like a huge window that lets, lets, lets it in without being so concentrated. It's energy, it's life, it's pure energy. It's spiritual, it's energy. Versus the energy in the stone is the intensity has been very, very reduced like a little, a little pinhole it just allows a drop, a tiny drop of this light to, to filter through and that's the difference between the different levels of light the different levels of energy that we find in the human form, in the soul versus a stone that has no sign of life, versus organic life that, that grows, you see life, it grows, it moves, versus animal life, where you see the animal roams, the animal moves, versus human life, where the person thinks and the person comprehends and imagines and speaks. So, of course, the higher form of life is like a window. It lets in a lot of life. Yes, a filtered light, but it lets in a lot of that filtered light. Versus the stone Takes this filtered light And reduces it to a tiny ray And what are you left with? A stone Doesn't move It doesn't budge It doesn't grow Nothing It just sits there It can sit there for thousands of years So you can't compare The level of energy This has a greater energy And this 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 has a tiny energy So in other words The footprint Of action Of deed Is very limited A person who only operates just an action, indeed. It, it's a deed it's, it's a very little energy it's a very highly concentrated energy it's a very reduced the intensity has been so reduced so your impact is very minimal very reduced versus if you impact the soul the impact is large it's huge it covers a huge area A person is colorful, a person, if if you change your heart and you change your mind and you change your soul and you're inspired and you're concentrating and you're elevated and you're moved, the impact is so much richer, it's so much larger. The change that you can affect is so much deeper, more colorful, more meaningful. So the areas that you can reach are much, much larger. Versus if you just if you would just change your action and just affect your actions without affecting your emotions, without affecting your mind, without affecting your soul. Okay, your imprint is tiny. You have a tiny imprint. So yes, that is the ultimate purpose of creation, to bring it down into action, to bring it down into deed and to change the material, the physical world. But by, by doing the mitzvah with intent, with soul, your imprint is much larger you can bring in so much more divine light into your life, into the world versus if you just do the mitzvah without any intent it's like a body without a soul it's a corpse your imprint is tiny it's physical, it's material oh you've changed, you've changed your action but that's it it doesn't move, it doesn't expand it doesn't grow it doesn't, it's not so effective your imprint is tiny it's a little ray that's why you need both you need the body physical, that's primary that gets you on board but you also need the soul otherwise like a body without a soul the soul makes you come alive the soul expands your life expands your imprint that the divine energy that you're bringing is so much larger, so much greater that you're illuminating such a huge, a huge portion of this world of yourself and the world around you through your soul that's why we need both. We need the soul, and we need the action. We need the intent, and we need the mitzvah, the action, and master. And only both together do we fulfill Hashem's will, which is to do the mitzvah and to do the mitzvah with the proper intent and to do the mitzvah in a heartfelt way. This class is part of the Lessons in
0: Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.